we are talking about a word and it's hard to describe because we have to be very careful and we try to be wise about the word we use when it comes to this subject of evangelism because I know there's previous generations that the terms you used um, in regard to reaching people for Christ, because of the postmodern generation that we live in, some of those terms today might come off as maybe a little religious, a little cold, maybe they sound agenda-driven or can even be creepy. And as we talk about reaching the lost or going on mission to our community or inviting people to love and follow Jesus Christ, uh, we want this to sink in. And we want to really make sure that we're hearing God's heart in the matter and that us as a leadership team and the reason we're providing the opportunity to get involved in Alpha, the reason our sermon series uh, starting next week is going to really focus on this is because we don't want to just talk about it and give information and inspiration. We also want to give equipping and training and impartation so that us as the body of Christ reaching those who don't know Christ, it just becomes a natural outflow of who we are as believers. The title of the message is A Serious Call to Souls. I talked a couple weeks ago about the value of a soul. And then last week, Marty did a great job talking about more of the how-to and talking about some of the human obstacles that come with approaching the idea of conversation and getting to know somebody and, and, and how we can remove some of the, uh, the pressure and the fears that come along with trying to help someone see the light. But today I wanna talk from God's heart and God's perspective about how serious this call is and how serious this ministry is for all of us who call Jesus Lord. Again, you might have grown up where you use the term evangelism in your church, and that's a great word. All it really means is really using your life, using your words, using your witness to invite other people into either a conversation or an experience where they can explore Jesus for themselves. Nothing wrong with the word, but again, that word evangelism can, maybe to the unbeliever, the secular person, or sometimes the de-churched person, it can create a wall. Because when it's not done out of love and compassion, uh, it can take on this definition of a Jesus high-pressure sales pitch. And I've seen that done. Another term that you probably might have grown up with if you're from an older generation is door-knocking or soul-winning. And again, that's in scripture, but that can even get more creepy depending on how you approach it because this has been kind of seen, and I've watched it happen, that soul winning can take damage in its definition because its expression sometimes could be uh, manifested in putting more notches in the belt. Like I'm trying to rack up as many conversions as possible. So instead of approaching somebody like they're a human being that you love, they're just another number to talk about at testimony time. And if, if I'm being honest, I kind of fell into that. When I was a young guy, I, I, I loved going out and sharing Jesus, but there was part of me that couldn't wait to get back when we were done in the park and everybody shared how many people they led to the Lord. And, uh, and I just was hoping that I had more than everybody else, right? And so I wanted to go last 
because I knew there was some folks in there that was straight up lie and, and outdo my number, right? And it got to the point where I could, I could find myself almost like, almost like not fully manipulating people, but, but manipulating people to say a prayer with me, right? Just, just say this prayer, bro. Just say this prayer and, uh, and, I'll, and I'll give you five bucks. Just, I just need another number. No, I didn't do that. But, I, but, but there was definitely this pressure, like I got to close the deal, right? So soul winning. The Bible says in Proverbs 11.30, and this is where it comes from, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. There's another old school version that says, and he that gaineth souls is wise. And this one, the ESV is even more strange. It says, and whoever captures souls is wise. And you can see how this could be off-putting or maybe creepy if not carried out from love or concern or compassion. You know, can you imagine me going door knocking? Somebody answers the door. Hi, my name's Dave. I'm out collecting souls today. And I would love an opportunity to capture your soul. Would you mind letting me in? Right? I'm not leaving until I collect your soul, ma'am. Right? So it's not about gathering as many numbers. We want to talk about not just what it is, but how serious the call is. And here's why I say that. The reason I bring these examples up is because it has been like the sales pitch thing and people have been turned off by it and it hasn't been done in love. Or you see folks that just minister to somebody and they're all about pointing out someone's sin and they're all about drilling somebody instead of like inviting someone to know the love and compassion of Christ. So what happens is that the secular person is like, yeah, you know, no soliciting. Don't talk to me about it. I don't want the sales pitch. Don't try to evangelize me. And then for the believer, you and I who are definitely called to share our faith and most successfully just through relationship, not trying to win an argument. I know Marty talked about this last week a little bit, but, but we, we tend to avoid following the call because we don't want to be perceived that way. But just because... Uh, a church or a generation did damage to the definitions of reaching the lost. It doesn't mean that God withdrew the call on his body to go out and be salt and be light to the Gentiles, the Jews were given, but then to us, to all who don't know Christ. Not from a place of, I know better, I'm better than you, or judgmentalism, but from a place of, hey, I'm just another beggar needing bread and I found the source. I'm no better than you. I was a sinner saved by grace. I had an incurable disease and Jesus cured it. And so I have some medicine that I didn't come up with, but Jesus gave it to me. And so it's out of that compassion Jesus never lifted or took away the call because man screwed it up. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God is serious about our call to lead lost souls into life. We see some great lessons in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3, that are also reinforced in the New Testament regarding God's call to every believer in this regard. And so what I want to do is I just want to read through um, some passages, read through some of the sections in chapter 3, and then just highlight some of the lessons because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many believe that? Listen, some of you think, and, and I used to think this, like, oh, God, I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but I've talked to unbelievers who have read the Bible, and it's kind of like God got on Prozac in the New Testament, and he was like, off his rock or angry in the Old Testament. Like, what happened to him? 
Listen, he's the same God. He's not changed. And let me say this. When you say, well, what about all the war and the murder and, and the curses and the captivity and the exile and God punishing his people? Listen, God is the same God in the New Testament after Jesus dies. The only difference is, is that he is now relating to us with a satisfied wrath because Jesus took the outpoured wrath and punishment due us. So now God doesn't have to deal with us that way. He can deal with us through grace, through faith, through the person of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have the opportunity to now be in unity and relationship with God because he doesn't judge us based on our righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ. But he still hates sin. He still is grieved. There's still wrath to come for those who reject the free offer of eternal life. And so when we read in the Old Testament and we see God's call to the watchmen to warn the wicked and the responsibility given us as believers, because if God's gonna do something in the earth, he chooses to do it through you and I. If God's gonna do something, yes, he uses angels, but angels, they are here to minister to the heirs of salvation and they help us accomplish God's will. So if we're waiting for Jesus to come back in the flesh or Jesus to do it through angels manifesting in human form, it ain't gonna happen. You have the Holy Ghost. You have the army of heaven behind you and you have the name of Jesus Christ, so he's gonna use you. Amen? So he says this, and this is the parallel in the ministry we've all been given. Everybody say the ministry of reconciliation. That's what you have been given. Ezekiel 3.11. Go to your people, the exiles, or for us, those in the captivity of sin. Speak to them and tell them, this is what the Lord God says, whether they listen or refuse to listen. So the first point here is we are called to plant and water and God is in charge of outcomes. Listen, some of the times I have held back and I haven't, when I know God's giving me an opportunity to just start a conversation and get into someone's world with, with the hopes of maybe inviting them to explore faith and, and, and just ponder some questions about Jesus. Sometimes I made up in my mind that they don't want to hear it. And so because I assumed they didn't want to hear it, there's been times I stepped back and said, yeah, they're just going to reject me. They're not going to listen. They're not at that place. But here's what God says here. He says, whether they listen or refuse to listen, I've called you through love, through grace, through compassion, through tact, through timing, through relationship. I've called you to share Jesus regardless of how they respond. This is the greatest loving thing we can do because of the stakes. Because when a man dies, it's appointed unto a man once to die and then judgment. And so God's greatest desire, he has a lot of desires, but at the core, at the top of God's desires is the salvation of every man, woman, and child. So I think about this and I remember, you know, my pastor, and he's quoting a scripture. He's like, you know, I'd share Jesus, and people would reject me. And I'd just be like, man, I, it hurts, man. And I, I just, I hate that feeling of rejection. And he goes, he goes, Dave, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Lord. And so don't take it personal. The same way, if you pray with them, you didn't save them. 
the Lord saved them. So don't get so low in the lows and don't get high in the highs. Just stay even kilter. You plant or you water and God's in charge of the increase. God usually works in a combination of human willingness, his spirit and his word. Where he can find someone just to show up and take the opportunity to serve somebody or to get involved in somebody's life or to invite someone to church or we're asking you to pray about who you might invite to Alpha because we're not gonna pressure folks there. We're not gonna debate and argue and try and cut them down and inject the right answer. It's literally a safe place for folks that want to know more and want to explore and have a conversation and a meal. We want to invite them to hear from the Lord, hear from the truth, and do so in the context of humans relating to other humans. And so when we're just willing to show up, the power of the Spirit is able to do amazing things. And you know what? I think uh, I'll share the story, but there's been times that you and I have shared something and we're like, man, it doesn't do anything. I didn't say the right thing. Like I, I quoted a scripture and I totally misquoted it. I think I quoted from a totally different religion. I, you know, um, I made it up and I said it was like the book of Moses, chapter four or five. And then I found out there is no book of Moses or whatever. And, and so we, we think that our words had no impact. This is so powerful. You know that whether you feel like you're making an impact or not, the truth will work if you work it. You know why? Because it's not based on how you feel. It's based on their knowledge of the truth being illuminated by the Holy Spirit that will bring freedom. Let me share a story. This was kind of humorous and it's kind of funny because it just took place. I was at an outdoor service. Some of you guys were there. It was August 5th, 2018. We got together with a couple other churches and you know, these churches brought their worship band and each one of us lead pastors got up and shared for five, seven minutes. It was one of those days I walked off stage and I literally was like, Dave, that was the most epic failure sermon Devo you've ever given. Like you just wasted seven minutes of people's time. You know, I mean, you know, the voices come and you know, it's not like I haven't heard it before. I mean, sometimes you, you just don't hit a home run. Other times it was great and the devil just lies to you. Uh, but I remember thinking like, you need to pay these people back for that seven minutes. Like go calculate how much everybody makes per hour, divide it, take that number and you need to cut a check because that was absolutely atrocious. I'm like, I don't even know what came out of my mouth, right? And, uh, and so I'm just like kicking myself. I'm like, oh, that was so lame. Well, a year and a half goes by. I just get an email or a Facebook message from a girl on January 2nd. And this was such a reminder of the fact that if you're just willing to show up and do it, even if you feel like you failed, God can use human effort and a willingness. So this girl, she writes, and I actually asked her last night if she would give me the opportunity to share this. She's, she was super excited. She's like, absolutely. So she said this, hello, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you. I went to a fellowship at the park with my in-laws, Dave and Susan Meikle, on August 5th, 2018. I, now remember, she just wrote this to me just a couple weeks ago. I reluctantly went because my relationship with God was virtually non-existent. My husband and I were waiting until we got back from vacation to officially file for separation and move on with our lives. I was in a very dark place after my fourth miscarriage and didn't know how I could worship God who in my mind was continually giving me babies only to take them away. 
I didn't know if I could stay married to someone knowing I could never give him a family, but I still went. That day in the park, your words and the worship and being surrounded by God's love and beautiful landscape really spoke to me. I felt my soul that I needed to accept Jesus and get my life back on his track because he loved me and knew the bigger picture. That day, I began praying every day for answers and guidance, reading the Bible, working on myself and facing my own personal demons. Four months later, we found out that we were expecting again. And on July 1st, we had our daughter three weeks early, but exactly one year from my final miscarriage. Without your words that day, none of this would have been possible. I cannot thank you enough and have shared my story with several friends. And with that, they have now begun coming to church with us every Sunday. You truly saved my life that day. Thank you, Angela Meikle. Now, let me say this. I didn't save her life. What she meant was that God, through the power of his word, made a supernatural impact, changed her life, saved her soul, did a miracle in their family, and turned her misery into a ministry that is now bringing her friends to Christ because they've seen what happened. All from a day where I walked off stage feeling like I'll never preach again. You know what I mean? It, it's him. And above that, it's Dave and Susan Meikle are the ones that invited them. Without that invite, they would have never came. They had the relational connection. And through that relational connection, there was a trust to say, hey, you know what? I'll check it out because I know you and I'm willing to risk this feeling of uh, lostness or rejection or whatever people feel when they step into church for the first time. I love this because we're not always gonna feel it. I was in Arizona before I flew back and my son moved to Texas, all excited, he's been talking about for years. And then he found out Texas has tornadoes. <laughs> and he literally is like, I'm out, I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling the plug. And uh, so he is now moving to Phoenix. What was crazy is the day he decided to move to Phoenix, they had their first like microburst, which was a tornado in Phoenix. And uh, I said, Isaiah, there's no escaping it, buddy. It's, it's the movie Final Destination. I'm kidding. I rebuke that. Don't watch that movie, by the way. Um, I just heard about it from uh, Josh Dunn. Um, okay. So... Anyways, so I go down there. Man, I'm trying to get to the airport. Man, I got to get there. I, wanna, I have a lot of study to do. I got to get some stuff done. I go to the gas station. And this guy is kind of in a beat down car. I'm like, I, here's, my flesh was like, oh no, Jesus, please. I don't have time right now. And God, please send. I'm like, in my heart, I didn't say this. But God, please send someone to minister to this guy. Because I see him walking up to me. And I'm a compassionate dude. I witness everywhere I go. I try and share Jesus. But I just didn't feel like it. He comes up and he's like, hey man, uh, I have to get to this other job. It's 40 miles away and I'm out of gas. And you know, I mean, sometimes it's a story. Sometimes it's like, that's not true. Your, your gas tank's probably full and you want something else. And you just have to use discernment and, and lean toward just being generous and whatever. But I felt like the Lord said, hey man, lean into this guy, engage this guy. And so I start listening to his story and he's like, he pulls up the phone. He's like, look, man, I'm a professional, it's a horse dentist, which means that they work on horseshoes, it's not teeth. Long story short, I don't, I don't get it. So he's like a somewhat famous horseshoe guy. He starts showing me pictures. He has a few books on Amazon. He's been on these podcasts and I pump gas and I fill his tank and I said, 
you know what, I'm going to take the time. Lord, you put this in my path. And I said, hey, man, what happened? How did you get to this place? And so he just was honest. He's like, you looked me up. He goes, I got a criminal record out of Florida. And I did, and he does. And he said, man, I went through a divorce. And he goes, I got on drugs. And I lost this. I lost that. I made some bad choices. And he goes, I'm just trying to get back on my feet. And so I just said, hey, man, I'm, I don't want to preach at you, but what do you know about Jesus? Have you ever experienced his love? Have you ever, have you ever accepted him as your savior? And he said, man, I was at this camp one time, and this guy known as the cowboy preacher down in Texas ministered the gospel, and I remember feeling something. So long story short, I sat there and got to minister to the guy, got to lead this dude to the Lord and pray with him at a gas station. I don't know what'll happen in his life. I just encouraged him, but it was the opportunity. And again, I did not feel like it. But you know what? As believers, if we wait to feel like it, we're never gonna act because it's gonna be fear or inconvenience or it's gonna be some reason. But if we have in our mind that our expression of faith, let's switch to a handheld, our expression of faith should be lived out by letting the world know that Christ is Lord. If we can live according to that, then every day we are full-time missionaries. Can I get an amen? amen? Every day of our life. Let me bust through the rest of this. Ezekiel 3, 12 says, Then the Spirit lifted me, and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Blessed be the glory of the Lord in his dwelling place. What I love about this, the point that I saw here was, we are not just called to be a light in darkness, whether they listen or not. We are, we are empowered by the Spirit to reach the lost. So just another reminder that when you talk and you invite someone to church or to Alpha, or you have a conversation or you get in some, someone's life, listen, it's not you, it's the Spirit of God in you. So when, when the excuses come, I don't know enough. I don't know what to say. I don't have enough scripture. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. If you've been saved, share that. If you didn't grow up pumping heroin into your veins, riding a Harley with the Hell's Angel, and you were just a homeschooler who someday came to the knowledge that you were a sinner saved by grace and you gave your life to Christ, just your story the Bible will use to drive off the devil that holds someone in the bonds of captivity. Amen? Amen. It says this, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Tacoma and Parkland and DuPont and you name it, to the ends of the earth. Why do we have the Holy Spirit? We, he dwells on the inside for personal holiness to mark us for salvation, but he comes upon us to be witnesses to a lost and dying world. We don't have the Holy Spirit just to get goosebumps. We don't have the Holy Spirit to run around and be weird, okay? The Holy Spirit doesn't make us circus animals. Can I get an amen in the house, okay? The Holy Spirit gives us power to win lost souls back to Christ. This includes the working of miracles, prophecy, but it's just simply being empowered with the life of the Spirit to get through to somebody who's blind. Ezekiel 3.15, uh, he came to the exiles in Tel Aviv who dwelt by the river Kabar, and for seven days I sat where they sat and remained there among them overwhelmed. The point that I see here is that leading the lost to life begins with listening and leaning into their world. 
and, and I know Marty hit a little bit on this, so this kind of dovetails, but this helps us understand when I just, I don't go in like with my spiel. But when you're praying for the three people on your 1102 campaign, and you get an opportunity to have time with them, listen, go in to try and understand their world before you try to get them to understand your world. You're not, you're not the salesman for Jesus. You know that Jesus waited 30 years to start his ministry and he only spoke for three years? What if we, what if we listened 90% of the time and spoke 10% of the time? Why is it important? Because when you listen, you gain perspective. You can hear their pain. And it helps us gain a compass and compassion for any conversation that God would allow us to have. What I love here is Ezekiel goes to the people he's supposed to call out of wickedness and warn about their ways. And he sits for seven days and he walks a mile in their shoes. And I think it's interesting because when we skip this part, it's really easy to forget that God dug us from a grave and we can start to become judgmental of people whose lives are really messy because maybe God cleaned our life up and all of a sudden the same thing we used to do we see in someone else's life, we get irritated and we're like, man, I can't believe they're like this. You know, they're just, they have no brain. How are they thinking like this? And we forget that God brought us out of the same thing. Can I get amen? It's crazy. You, didn't, you weren't born saved. You didn't come out of the womb saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Like the doctor puts you in your mom's arm and you were like, blessed are you, mother, for I am the fruit of thy womb. And blessed is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blesses us with every heavenly gift from Jesus Christ in spiritual places. Mother, would you please now cover my nakedness for I'm highly aware of the state of my shame. Maybe a warm swaddling cloth blanket. Father, I thank you for your provision and the car that I'll be driving home in. I need not your advice, for I am fully perfected and matured in Christ already. We didn't come out like that. You were a bad baby. That's why the doctor spanked your butt, okay? You were a sinner, and the doctor knew it, and you got spanked for it. That's why you cried. Bad baby, right? But we forget. We forget and we start judging. Listen, the reason we go into somebody else's mess is so that we, we can gain compassion. You know, this, is, this breaks my heart. I have a lot of problems, but one thing that, if I could boast on one thing Grace has done in me, and the only reason he's done this is because I've been such a knucklehead and I've made such big mistakes, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm very aware of my flaws, and I'm, I'm my worst critic. Man, it's tough to judge somebody when you realize that you are a screw-up and without Grace, like, you're toast, okay? And so when you see someone's lifestyle— it's so easy to judge them, right? Whether it's drugs or extreme cases or people that constantly self-destruct. But I promise you this. Get into their life and find out the roots of the pain that caused them to express their behavior that way. And you will start to gain a heart that cares about getting them free. Because nobody really wants to do that stuff. We do that because we're slaves to roots in our life. But if we just deal with the behavior, we can never reach the heart. And in witnessing to somebody, they may not, maybe their sin is far worse than yours. But in the eyes of God, we were all going to H-E double hockey sticks on the fast train. Can I get an amen? You, listen, you weren't going to a better hell. 
right? You were going to the same one as the person that you can't believe sins the way they sin. And so just understand that. Get into their life, sit in their mess, and find out why they hurt and where they hurt. And in doing so, when we open our mouths, we will not open our mouths with ignorance and coldness. We will open our mouths with great compassion and the love of Christ, going to the root of the pain instead of dancing around it with a bunch of memorized remedies, right? Hear the heart so you can be led by the Spirit. And then we get down to the last couple here. Ezekiel 3, 16 through 21. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked man, you will surely die, but you do not warn him or speak out to warn him from his wicked way to save his life, that wicked man will die in his iniquity, and I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked man and he does not turn from his wicked, wickedness and his wicked way, he will die in his, his iniquity, but you will have saved yourself. Now, if a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I put a stumbling block before him, he will die. But if you did not warn him, he will die in his sin, and the righteous acts he did will not be remembered, and I will hold you responsible for his blood." But if you warn the righteous man not to sin, and he does not sin, he will indeed live because he heeded your warning, and you will have saved yourself. The point here is our call to reach the lost comes with responsibility and accountability. Listen, the gospel, this is Carl F. H. Henry, it says this, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Dave, that's Old Testament. Now, I'm not saying that we go to hell or that God's going to punish with, uh, us with eternal damnation. I don't believe that. But we have to give an account for the opportunities we were given to obey what he gave us to do, the call and the ministry he put on our life. And we can't assume that though we were saved by grace, that we then have no responsibility to be his hands and feet. We still, as believers, will stand before Jesus and we will give an account for how responsible we were. That's why the parable of the talents is there. Like, what did you do with what I gave you? And it's not this threat thing. It's God saying, listen, when you embark on my mission and you use what I gave you, you enter into the most fulfilling, abundant life possible and you share in the treasure of God reaping what he wants most, which is souls. Now watch this. Let's look at the New Testament, and Paul basically says the same thing after Jesus has died, rose from the dead, and sent his Holy Spirit. Watch Paul here. Acts chapter 20, 24 and 27. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. How could he say that? He, he answers that in the next verse. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
What Paul is saying here is, your blood is not on my hands. I warned you. I taught you. I spent days with you. I brought the word. And therefore, because I did my part, if you choose destruction and you choose to go a different way, I am innocent of your destruction and there is no blood on my hands. Which means the opposite could be true. That somehow, in some way, that if we fail to share when God's given us the ability, that God will somehow, in some way, I don't know how it looks, but that we will be held accountable to God. Hey, I put this person in your life. What happened? Again, not sentencing to hell, but answering for what he called us to do. Acts 20, 31, he finally wraps it up with this. He says to these same people, so be on guard. Remember that I never stop warning each of you night and day with tears. Everybody say with tears. There's a big difference between with tears and with anger and judgmentalism. I remember we used to have this hip-hop crew, and it, it was a youth ministry we had in Portland, and we had a rock band and a hip-hop crew and, and dancers, and we would take a sound system out and do outreaches in the community. And I remember this one time, we went to Seaside, Oregon. And so that, that was where I used to party on spring break before I got saved. And we go back there, and there's lots of young people. We set up, and we, we would take old cuts and turn them into Jesus jams, right? So, like, ain't nothing but a G thing. Was ain't nothing but a Jesus thing. Uh, I could name off the songs. But so people would hear it, and they'd come over, and all of a sudden, they'd just hear the gospel. Then we would have our young people get up after songs, and they would share their testimony about how the love of Christ reached them. So we'd have this big old crowd gather. And then one of us would get up and invite folks just out there in public to receive Jesus. Sometimes we'd have a lot. Sometimes we'd have a few. There were times that we didn't have any. One time we went to Arizona and we were in this park and man, we prayed and cried out to God for hours and passed out flyers and set up this big sound system and had food ready. And the only person that showed up was a homeless guy who laid on a bench and literally wet himself. And we did a concert for this guy who was literally unconscious the whole time. It is what it is, right? You just show up and you do it. But there we are in Seaside. We have this crowd. And down the block comes these other guys and they hold the signs, you're going to burn in hell. And they're yelling at people. And they couldn't gather, gather a crowd for themselves. And so what they did is they started to take their gospel that wasn't based on compassion and tears for the lost. It was, it was based on like, I'm better than you and you're terrible and you need to repent because you're a piece of dirt in God's eyes. And we had to go and tell these people, listen, that, that's not us. Listen, the heart of reaching the lost should be done with compassion. That when we warn people, it's literally from a place of God, let me feel what you feel for them. And finally, we wrap up with this, Jude chapter 1, verse 20. He's talking to us as believers in the New Testament. He says, but you, beloved, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in love, in the love of God, as you await the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. And indeed, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. That means there's a fire to be snatched from. And, to still, and still to others, show mercy, tempered with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the flesh. I want to I challenge you today. I remember when I got saved, some of you know my testimony, but briefly, I'm the son of a heroin addict father and a single mother 
who worked two jobs to support four kids, grew up in HUD housing, packed weapons to school, woke up empty most every day of my life, chased my dad, hoping he would show up to a game, hoping he would give me attention. But the bottle and the needle had more of his attention than his own, than his own son and daughters. And so I, I, I went through life with this void and I was constantly trying to find an identity and find family and find meaning and find purpose. And of course, like father, like son, I end up running with people that were broken just like me. And as that saying goes, birds of a feather flock together. And now I'm running with other guys who are violent. And then I'm introduced to alcohol and then pills and weed. And, and now I'm getting in deeper trouble and deeper sorrow. And I found like there was no escape, right? And I had no idea who Jesus was. I didn't understand any of that. And it was through a friend who was... They said, hey, bro, you got to go to church or you can't see your girlfriend anymore because you're abu abusive and we're shipping her off to Central Oregon. And her parents are like, until you go to church and unless you get your life right with God, like you can't see our daughter. So he invites me and I go and it's through the preaching of the word, through an invite of a friend and I didn't want to go. And you've heard the story. I walked in and people are raising their hands and they're, they're crying and they're singing. And I'm like, these people are on drugs. There's no way anybody's that happened. There's no way people are this filled with whatever joy that was. And, but then I heard the word of God. And the pastor just talked simply about Jesus. And there I was, this tough guy. And I received Christ and I start weeping like a baby because I realized that there was a God who loved me and would forgive me. And this lost, broken teenager found life and hope and happiness, true happiness at the foot of the cross. All through a personal invite and the word of God. Amen. And, and I remember, like, after that, like, we were saved in a church that taught that your normal expression should be leading people to Jesus. And I remember early in my faith, God baptizing me with a burden for the lost. And I don't know, it wasn't anything about me. And this is what I'm praying that God would do in this church. Because this is not something you can manufacture. We need the Holy Ghost to put this on us because we don't have the capacity to love people with agape love unless God himself stirs it and makes it alive in our heart. But we have to get desperate that he would pour it out or people will walk by hanging in the balances of eternity. We live this short life, even if it's a hundred years. In light of eternity, it's nothing. And we get so focused on this life and God is saying, the true riches is what I want to trust you with. And the true riches is souls. And I remember God baptizing me with this burden for the lost. And I didn't want anyone to go to hell. And it started to show up in ways that I was shocked by in myself. I literally started to notice people that were invisible to me. I never was a bully. I never picked on the outcasts or the rejects. I'm, I kind of stood up for them, but... There was the gothic kids and I just never saw them. And all of a sudden I'm at the lunchroom and I look at them and I feel just deep sadness. And I go from my table and I sit with them and they think I'm going to try and prank them, right? Because like, why is Dave, bad boy Dave over here, why is he sitting with us? He's going to do something. And literally I felt like crying almost every time I sat with them. And then all of a sudden my enemies, like I had beef with people. 
And that's why I packed weapons to school. And these guys, skinheads and these big roid heads, and I was always watching my back. But you know what? God started to take away my bitterness toward them because I was able to see them through the lens of somebody who God loved dearly and needed salvation. And you know what was funny? Is that when I started to see them that way, I stopped carrying an attitude that promoted the beef and all of a sudden it got squashed. I remember going to school early because I just would lay awake at night and I'd be like, God, give me the opportunity to lead one more person to Jesus. And I'd take a city bus in to school and I'd get there an hour or so early and I'd find the kids that were just sitting in the hallway and I'd strike up conversations with them to try and lead them to Jesus. Most of them didn't receive Christ, but I was obsessed with it. I was absolutely obsessed. And I remember as time goes by, I was a youth pastor, and you're in the church so much that sometimes, you know, the things that should have revelation and deep meaning, they just become wallpaper and you go through the motions and you just plug your, you know, you check your box, you go to church, you show up to life group, and hopefully you're getting something out of it. But dear God, our hearts need to be engaged and we need to be going not just because it's the right thing to do, but because we want to meet with the eternal God and we want to grow deeper and we want our lives to change something in this broken world. And so I got into the rut. And I remember this Tuesday night, and I'm in this prayer meeting. We had Tuesday night youth, uh, youth prayer, and Wednesday night youth service. And so there'd usually be 8, 10, 12 of us. And, and then Wednesday night we had another prayer meeting where more people would come. But then there was like three of us. And I remember like, God, I'm, I just, I've lost my burden for the lost. I don't, I don't really think about it anymore. Well, I, we, we have an altar call every Wednesday and we invite kids to come forward and then it's cool. But it doesn't move my heart. It doesn't break me like it used to. And if it doesn't break me and it's not moving me, and I'm, I'm not, I don't really care about it. And it's just part of my job now then God, I, I, I need you to do some surgery in my heart because I'm misrepresenting you. If I don't care about these people and I'm just going through words and I'm quoting a prayer, but like I'm, I'm, I'm not sensing your heart in it. Not that I have to have goosebumps every time, but I could tell I was just dry. And I remember wrestling with God and I'm like, Jesus, baptize me with that fire and that burden that I had before. That burden that caused me to get on a bus and go knock on my dad's door until he woke up from his heroin slumber. I go into this dark, dingy room with Black Sabbath playing and there's my dad. He looked like a freaking zombie. And I'm like, Dad, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Track marks on his arm. Beer cans everywhere, filthy apartment, living alone, choked out by demons, so lost. And as a response is, yeah, if God's real, let him come talk to me. But I'm not giving up on him because I can't see my dad go to hell. My sisters and my mom and my friends and my baseball team, that same fire that stayed persistent it wasn't Dave. And then finally my dad caves by the Spirit of God. He comes to church drunk. And he receives Jesus that day. First guy to stand up in a crowd of thousands. And he receives tears running down his face. God, I want that fire back in my bones. 
I'm tired of walking by people and they're just faces. I want to see them as the apple of your eye. And in that room on a Tuesday night, I remember God saying, I said, God, let me feel what you feel for the lost. And I remember as clear as day, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I sensed his voice. He said, Dave, you could not handle feeling what I feel for the lost, but I'm going to let you feel a fraction of it. And for the next two or three hours, I was I was curled up in a ball, groaning and weeping. And trust me, like, I still, I still have a cool factor that I try to uphold. And that didn't look cool at all. And, but it, and normally I would be like, oh, dear God, don't let anybody walk into this room. Right? Or someone throw a blanket over me, like one of those Pentecostal blankets, you know, that's... But, but I just, I mean, moaning and I, I was inside. I felt two feelings. It was absolute sadness for the loss of a soul. And it simultaneously, the greatest love I've ever felt for a soul. And God was letting me feel a fraction of what he feels when someone rejects the gospel the only one who can save Jesus Christ. And at the same time, that every single person that chooses to reject his free gift of salvation, he still loves them with a love that cannot be described. And that day, I remember the Lord, he gave me a fresh burden for the lost. And I asked my hero in the faith, and I'll close with this, I promise. I asked my hero in the faith, a guy named Larry Reed, they called him Rainbow, Rainbow Larry. He spent many years in San Quentin prison and took me out street preaching for the first time, ran the jail ministry. And, and uh, his son, Brandon Reed, uh, has come and done worship for us. We're trying to get him back maybe in, in February, hopefully. But uh, his dad just like, he just, he was always passionate, always on fire. And he was like, you know, 70 some years old. And I said, Pastor Reed, like, how do you keep so on fire? Most people your age in ministry, they just seem so tired and so bored. And they seem like they don't like what they're doing. And they seem like they've lost their desire to ever take a risk ever again. And it feels like they're pulling sermons out of drawers and just going through the motions. Like, what is it about you? And he goes, here's the secret, Dave. He goes, never lose your passion and commitment to his presence, to his word, and never lose your passion and your burden to win the lost. And I remember that sticking with me. And that's what I want to pray for all of us today. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Maybe you're here today and first of all, I want to give you an opportunity and I pray that we wouldn't rush because if this matters that much to God, then let's give the Lord time to reap what he wants. You might be here today and say, you know what, I've never fully put my faith and my trust in Jesus. Listen, God will give you the answers you're looking for. You want science, it's in the Bible. You want intellectual proof, it's in the Bible. You want historical proof, it's in the Bible. You want, you know, whatever proof you need. The, the Bible, the Bible gives us so much to prove that God's plan from the beginning all pointed to Jesus. But he leaves enough obscurity that we have to trust by faith. And if you're truly looking for salvation, God will meet you. But today, if you're here and you say, you know what? I need to surrender my heart to Jesus.
I'm being warned right now, and this is what I'm doing. I'm, 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 I'm inviting you to open your heart and to believe on the only one that can save you. And he promises that he will wash your sins away. He will give you a new life. He will put his spirit in you. He'll take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He will bring you into his family. He will mark you by his presence. And he will secure you for eternity. But it's only through Jesus. If you're here today and you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, or maybe you've fallen away, and today is your time to come home and say, God, I want to make a fresh commitment. If either of those are you, I just want you to raise your hand and say, God, I need that. Thank you for that hand, that hand, that hand, there, there. Anyone else? Anyone else? I'm going to wait a few more moments. Thank you, ma'am. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you so much. For everyone else, maybe you have never really been someone who stepped out. Maybe your faith has been private to you. And today you say, God, I want the courage. I want the heart and the burden and the boldness to step out and be a witness. It doesn't mean standing on a street corner. It doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert. It simply means that you get involved in someone's life with an agenda to love them and allow them to explore faith through your relational context with Jesus. That's all it takes. Just love people. And today, if you feel like the Lord prodding you to be a watchman, I want you to raise your hand and say, God, that's me. I, I need you to give me a fresh burden for the lost. Come on, hold them up. Thank you for that honesty. 